You're listening to the Life Center Church Podcast. Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 
get started sharing this story with some of the scriptures that have really impacted our journey, I want to give honor where honor is due. Um, I want to honor Pastor Chuck and Pastor Cheryl for just being legends here and letting me really just kind of stand on your guys' shoulders of what you've built here. Um, and Pastor Tim and Julie, uh, man, you know, I feel like I want to change my Facebook last name. You know, you know like, women who get married and they have, like, their old last name and the new one. I think I want to be, like, Busby-Bowles. <laughs> um, man, thank you guys so much for investing in me, and thank you so much, team, for putting up with me. Um, we joke, but there's, like, a half-truth that just, I have, like, a breaker anointing that I just, like, break things off of people because I'm crazy, wild, and out there. So... Uh, I probably like saved off some years of Julie's life, <laughs> but thank you so much, guys, for just letting me uh, let me thrive and just letting me kind of be me and my weirdness and uniqueness. It is Pastor Michael Bowles. Um, you know, I am taking a piece of Life Center Church with me, and the couple years that I've been here has really shaped my family. And uh, from the second that we previewed this church. Uh, before we, you know, accepted the offer that was on the table, we were welcomed in the parking lot by so many of our senior adults, and that just left such a good impression on us, and it's impacted our lives greatly. So um, our family just wants to say thank you, Life Center Church, for letting us be pastors here. year was a bit rough for me, and, um, you know, I told our students, and I just want to be transparent and just get it all out there, I think I haven't been a youth pastor for probably a year and a half, and I think if I was just confessing my sin, cue the Usher song, right? These are my confessions. I think if I was honest, um, the youth ministry has kind of served as an incubator for me to just occupy a position in the in-between of trying to figure out what the next thing is. And so I apologize to our students and cried and it was emotional. Um, but, you know, the end of last year was rough for me for many different reasons. You know, I had taken on a lot of stuff on my plate. Um, I was the L.A. section youth representative for our denomination, which at the time we had about 64 churches that I was supposed to, you know, be in relationship with their youth pastor and resource them. And if their youth pastor were to quit, hopefully I'd be the guy that they call to encourage them to stick in it. And um, at that same time, I was also the men's campus pastor at Latin American Bible Institute. For those of you who um, are looking at me and like, what? I am half Mexican, okay? Uh, and I was serving there, and on top of that, everything that I do here. And I think, again, if I was honest, sometimes if you've been in the church a while or if you've been in ministry a couple weeks, um, you can start to learn this, like, Christian jargon. You can start to learn the churchy things to say. And, you know, I have messages in folders by the year. So I have messages, every single one of my messages, starting from, like, 2013. And, you know, sometimes you get to a place even where you just pull old messages and preach them because it's easy don't really press into 
what God wants to say now. And so I found myself just kind of manufacturing and faking the mechanics of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? God's so good that he blesses that, right? Because he's just good. People are getting saved. Lives are getting transformed. But at the, at the end, I knew that I wasn't giving a hundred. And God allowed <laughs> on an ugly crier. We bring some fans up. <laughs> but if someone could bring you water, that'd be great. Um, you know, God allows certain situations and circumstances to happen in my life to really get me to the end of myself. You know, and I wasn't resting, I wasn't taking care of myself, I wasn't eating right, I wasn't exercising, I wasn't taking days off. It was just non-stop ministry at the expense of myself and my family. And so I say all that to maybe you can learn what not to do for my life. Um, but I found myself coping in unhealthy ways. I found myself... Um, arguing with my wife over frivolous things like the scent of a Glade plug-in. Like, I was just on edge. You know, and if you think about it, you think about the Ten Commandments, and here in the West, we have this mindset, especially in America, where it's, you just want to do, 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 accomplish more, work, work, work. And, you know, if you think about the Ten Commandments and holding a pastor accountable to them, there's one commandment that we probably wouldn't get on a pastor for, and that's for remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. And that was one that I was just not even adhering to. If you would have said Sabbath to me, I would have, that would have might as well have been like another language. And so, uh, man, I, I confessed my sins and I shared with Pastor Chuck and Pastor Tim and and the Busbees have been just such influential people in my life. Like, I've gone over to their house at, like, odd hours of the night and, you know, gone in their living space and <laughs> they're <laughs> laughing. Um, but, you know, our pastoral staff in that moment, they could have fired me. And you know what? I was kind of at that place where I'm like, I kind of hope they do because maybe I didn't realize it. But, like, I kind of, by my actions, I was acting as if Jesus was a liar. I would preach that Jesus will set people free, but I didn't believe that for myself. I, I would preach that, you know, Jesus is a good father, but I wasn't letting him father me. And Pastor Chuck and the team, man, they restored me and they gave me grace and they, they didn't fire me, right? I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> And you were a king for that, Pastor Chuck, and I appreciate that. And man, that man's got a lot of grace, and I probably would have fired myself. Um, but he's just got a ton of grace. And I remember during that season reading this verse, and it's Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 and 30. It says this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And I love this part. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
so I started implementing Sabbath rhythms in my life, and, and at that time, I also realized I needed a therapist because of oh, whatever stuff I've gone through, so I'm still in therapy, recovering from just church. <laughs> You're like, this is crazy, what is this? Combine uh, Um you know, I started going to therapy um, with an amazing Christian psychologist, and uh, man, he, it's just every time I have a session with him, it's just like a holy uppercut to the face in the best way possible. And this therapist at this time he said, you know what, I wanted, I want you to do something. I'm like, sure, anything. You know, when you're broken, you're, you're just willing to do anything to get your life back and to get a healthy rhythm in your life. And, and he said, I want you to start serving and doing a Bible study at a convalescent home. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, I'm not going to do that with my time, you know? Like, I'm youth and young adults, not like, you know, Pastor Tom, senior adult pastor. Like, that's not my calling, you know? And I argued with them, and eventually I came to the decision, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so I started going to Long Beach Care Center uh, upon recommendation from Pastor Tim and his dad's there, so I get to see his dad occasionally come in and sit in on those Bible studies. And I kind of became the John Wesley of, like, the convalescent home circuit. And uh, I remember my first time going in, I'm like, what am I going to share about? Well, heaven, heaven seems like a pertinent, you know, topic. He doesn't want to talk about heaven. Um, but, you know, God started changing my heart there. And, you know, it was in those rooms with those people, you know, some of them would be sitting on their bed, you know, without legs, and my friend Tito and I would be in there, and he would just be leading in worship, and the presence of God would be so tangibly felt in those rooms that I began looking forward to going to that convalescent home. And um, kind of became, I don't it's kind of still is, like, you know, like a little church campus. Like, I feel like it's like my church. We have sometimes maybe 60 people that are in there, and some are on life support, and some are wheeled in on their beds. A lot of them are wheeled in on their wheelchairs. And uh, I just cherish my time with them. And so that was one of the things that was implemented in just me getting my life back. And there's a guy named Pete Scazzaro, and some of you may know him. He's kind of like the emotionally healthy church guy. He's wrote a book called Leading on Empty. And he, he said this in one of his books. And he, he says this. He says, we find God's will for our lives in our own limitations. And so that being said, you know, I feel like God really had to put my family and put myself through a season of purging to get myself out of me so that Christ would be on display. Because, you know, in the season, I was, just, I, I was faint. I was consumed with social media and putting pictures of me preaching and all these different things and putting this stuff out there of who I wanted you to see, but on the inside, I was broken and I was hurting and I was just tired. I just deleted all my social media. I'm back on now, healthier. Amen. But, but I just was tired of being fake. Like, I just, I was going through the motions. And so God really had to bring me to the end of myself. I remember sitting in a hotel room of a place I spoke at and I was getting excited because I had like 12 students follow me. And in that moment, God, like through the Holy Spirit, was like, you care more about making followers of yourself than you do of me. 
And so what I'm about to say next is kind of ironic, right? Because it's like, man, like, should, you, should this guy still be in ministry? Like, what he say? Is this guy okay to be in ministry? Uh, you know, another guy who is influential in my life is Pastor Rich Gear, our superintendent, and really walking with me through that process and even calling me at like 9.30 at night uh, on the cell phone. And he just really was a key person in this whole discovery of us finding out that church planting was the next step. And so in January, Lauren and I knew that God was shifting some things in us. And we kind of felt this like restlessness. And we're like, God, like, is this just greed and discontent in us? Because we love our church. We get paid decent. Like we have a month's salary. Like we get medical. Like all of these benefits of working here. I get to go to country, like any country I want and lead a mission team like this doesn't really make sense, God. Like, why am I feeling restless? And it was because God was changing my heart and birthing something new in me. So there was discomfort and restlessness. And so January, we were like, all right, we need some clarity. And at that time, I was taking a class on the book of Daniel. And Daniel did like a Daniel fast where he really just wanted to hone in on God's voice and interpret just the season and the time that he was in. And so we were like, man, yeah, that's what we need to do. So in January, we did a fast and um, where we were just really seeking God and not eating certain foods. And um, we felt like God just confirmed some things in that season that were indicators of just us transitioning and giving us peace and release. I got an email on my school email, which like no one uses but professors from a church in San Diego um, to interview. And I was like, that is crazy. Like, who knows that email, right? And so that was one of the confirmations amidst others. And so we're like, okay, we're going to take this next step and transition. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to be a youth pastor. I didn't really want to be a young adult pastor. Um, I was like, man, maybe campus pastor is the next step, right? Because I'm still a part of a bigger church. There's security. There's like a pastor that would kind of be over me. And so logically, I was thinking campus pastor is the next step. So I started interviewing at a few bigger churches that were multi-site across the U.S. and going through their interview process. And mind you, in this, in this time, I had so many friends around me that were saying, Michael, when you're going to plant a church, like, quit planning. And a lot of our D-church friends here in L.A. that were saying, man, when are you going to plant a church? Like, we want to go to your church. And, you know, it's, it's affirming. They'll probably never go, right? Who knows? But <laughs> church planning is like everything you think you know, you don't know. Who you think you're going to go with, you probably won't. People you think that won't go with, you probably will. It's just like everything is backwards. You just go through open-handedly. But in this process, like, we had a Latino family that had been a part of a Spanish church for a long time. And I was over at their house, and they said to me, they said, Michael, we don't want you to leave L.A. We feel like you're called to L.A., and if you plant here, we'll be your first members. Now, you got to understand, in Latino culture, that's a big deal for them to leave, like, their Spanish church and come to a different church. And so that really impacted me, and that, like, really shook me in that moment. And so I had an interview for one of these multi-site churches, and 
Uh, they had me take the Enneagram and all these different assessments and five-fold ministry tests, all these different assessments to see if, like, I had what it takes to be a church planner. So in the interview, they're like, hey, you're a church planner, hands down, all of your gifts, all of your assessments, we think you're a church planner. And I'm like, okay. And they said, they said this to me, which really shook me. And they said, hey, we just want to ask you, though, why would you want to move your entire family to a state you've never lived in to plant a church? Why aren't you planting in your city? And I was like, I don't know. And in my head, I'm, I'm kind of like identifying, well, this is an easy option. I saw the job posting. Security, you guys pay for our whole family's gym package, you know, gym membership. That's pretty cool. Uh, and so I'm thinking in my head, like, of you know, why I'm going this route. And he, and he said, Hey, I want to ask you if you could plant a church anywhere, where would you plant a church? And I said, LA, hands down, right? You know, like, why you local sport? like, yeah, like LA. And he, he was like, I think you know what you need to do. And I'm like, Wait, so they jumped? Like, what's going on, you know? And I got off that phone, phone call, and a couple of days later, I was at our SoCal Network office, and I was telling our uh, network youth director all the story. And she's like, hey, you know what? You need to talk to a couple people that are over church planning and tell them this. So I remember I was in the hallway of the network office, and I'm telling uh, some of the people over church planning there this story. And... Um, one of the guys, he looks at me and he says, Michael, it sounds like God's giving you a ton of confirmation. Like, I don't know how much more confirmation you need. And I'm like, and so he, they left. I left that conversation and I'm sitting in the hallway just alone by myself at the network office, surrounded by photos of all of these assemblies of God churches that are great. And, and I just said, yes, Lord. So yes, Lord. And there's a guy named Chuck Smith, and he started the Calvary Chapel movement. And he's kind of famous for this quote that says, you know, in life, I just want to be really good at saying these two words, and that's yes, Lord. And it really, like, hit home in the network office hallway where I just said, yes, Lord. And I feel like in that moment where I said, yes, Lord, just faith rose up in me. Just like I got excited. I, I, like, started to dream of, like, man, what could church be? Like, what, you know, and I started reading Acts, and I started getting full of faith for, like, our future. And, um, and so, yeah, we, I was thinking, like, you know, in that dream stage, you're thinking of, like, what could church be, right? Like, I'm the lead pastor. Like, it could be, it could be whatever, like, you know, it could be whatever. Well, not whatever. I mean, obviously in line with the scripture, right? Because we have a high view of scripture. It's the authority, uh, divine word of God. Um, but I started to like dream of what church could be. And then in that process, you're like, what is our church name going to be? And I'm thinking like, man, there's nothing new under the sun. And I was like, man, paradox church. Like, you know, what, what church could I? And then it started like resonating. I kept hearing this word like home, home, home. And so I'm like, yeah, home church, Los Angeles. We want home church. And at this time, I had um, applied to go. Francis Chan, I don't know if you've heard of him. He left his church in Simi Valley 10 years ago or so, maybe 11, and um, started home churches. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, 
is low cost, like of that, I'm a church planner that doesn't have a big overhead of a building and all these different things. So I was really just consumed with like, man, home church is awesome. Because right, church exists to be family. Church exists, something magical happens when you're at the table eating together at the end of that meal, then you talk for like another two hours. And so Luke 15 really became influential in us just landing on the name home church for those of you who are wondering. And we felt like it was kind of just the anthem of my life, you know. I was like the prodigal son that returned home. And we have a lot of new church friends right now that have been burnt on church, that have had bad experiences from church, that don't want to have anything to do with church. So my wife and I were like, we want to be church for them. Not just them. Obviously, for Christians practicing the way of Jesus, but we also want to be home for all the lost souls that are in Los Angeles trying to find home. And this verse became influential. It's from Luke 15. It says this, When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, kissed him. Tonight we feast. My son has come home safe and sound. And so we believe that God is leading us to plant a church in the urban core of L.A., Silver Lake, and so that people can find their home in God. And, um, yeah, you can clap there. And, and there's a book. I have to, like, give a shout-out to another book that's really change just how we think and how we view ministry and life. And it's a book by Erwin McManus, and it's called The Last Arrow. And uh, man, maybe you could take a photo or write that down, get it on Amazon. Um, that's been a book really in this process, um, kind of getting us to take that leap of faith, right? And taking that risk. Um, in 2 Kings 13, 18 through 19, this is in the book. Um, I'm stealing it. Um, but the verse says this, and he said, take the arrows, and he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them, and he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times, then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now he will strike down Syria only three times. Now at this time, the king He's hanging out with Elisha, who is on his, like, deathbed. He was sick. And so he's with the prophet Elisha, and Elisha kind of gives him, like, a prophetic command. Like, hey, I want to give you complete victory. But the king, he goes in, like, halfway. He settles, right? He only strikes the ground three times instead of six. So, I mean, there's a ton of, like, commentary that talks about I mean, we could spend a lot of time here, but just the lack of zeal that the king had. God was going to give him the complete victory, but he settled. And I feel like that, when I read that in Erwin McManus's book, and I, I, I read how he broke that down, I got convicted because I realized that even in this whole discovery, even in this whole process of us planting a church, I was settling. God wanted to give me complete victory and still wants to give me complete victory, but I'm trying to play it safe. I'm trying to play it secure. I just want comforts and security. That's why I wanted a mega church 
you know, to take me on as one of their campus pastors because I wanted security. I wanted comfort. Even in, as you're planting a church, you need to find a parent church to cover a lot of the stuff on the back end. And so the network has been working with me and, and they kind of put the seed in my mind. I mean, we want a big church, like a mega church. It's expensive to live in LA and you want a mega church to come alongside you and parent you and, and pay your salary. And, and sometimes, like that's great, but sometimes what happens is those bigger churches, when they're investing like that, they dictate vision, they, they dictate missiology and philosophy and ministry and how you approach doing church. And, and so we were like, God was, even in this like season, God was like, are you going to play it safe? Are you just going to try to get comfort and security from one of these bigger churches? And I'm like, God, I have a family. Like, yeah, I'm trying to play it safe. What are you thinking? And God's like, I have something different for you. And another voice that's in my life at this time is a guy named Bretton Fessler. And his dad was on staff here. Some of you guys know Pastor George Fessler, who now works at our network office. And so Brenton has offered to be our parent church. And their church plant is about five years old in the city of Orange. Uh, so they're parenting us, but they're not a big parent. They're a little parent, right? They're not paying our salary. They're not giving into the general fund budget. They're just covering bookkeeping and the bank account and splitting some of the accounts and project management and stuff. We feel like that's what God's calling us to, and it doesn't make any sense, right? But we feel like the king. It's like, man, we don't want to go into this half-hearted. We want to give everything. We want to shoot every single arrow so that when we get to the end of our life, our quiver will be, be empty. We don't want to leave anything for this life. But I want to ask you, when you reach the end of your days, Will your quiver be full of arrows because you never launched them? Or will it be empty because you weren't afraid to risk it all for God? God's calling all of us, not just me. He's calling collectively all of us to take a risk, right? At least I know where I'm going. Abraham like, was called to take a risk and step out. He had no idea. But we're excited because we've already seen, just like Abraham along the road, God provided, and it was refreshing for his soul. And already along the road, just like Abraham, God has provided. we got an office space in Hollywood at the Dream Center on the ninth floor that is rent-free that I don't have to pay for. Can I get a Pentecostal amen? And so we have different, like, funding streams coming in at different points as we start this next endeavor and plan this five-year sustainability plan. But in and all of the planning, I'm at the end of myself because in and of my own strength, I can't do it. So going back to the fall, I think that's what God was trying to get me to realize, that I need to be so dependent on the Holy Spirit and to be so Spirit-led that I can't take credit for it, that I can't take glory for it. And I think every successful ministry and move of God has always been built on men and women who have taken big risks and big steps of faith. So even in this season now, we don't we haven't had a service, we haven't had a Bible study, but even now, my wife and I and our family is building a foundation that is built on faith because we refuse to build a foundation on fear. And already we've seen God 
Ephesians 3.20, exceed our expectations above and beyond anything that we can dream, think, or imagine according to the power of Christ working inside of us. It's a risk. My last paycheck here is the end of this month. Like, the 31st is my last paycheck. If you, my, my parents are like, you know, my dad has always said, like, son, you don't quit your job before you have another job, right? Like, so you say to your sons and daughters, and the kingdom just doesn't make sense. And so we're raising support, and we're just believing that, you know, that God has been so good in this good season. He's been so faithful in the couple years and even our past. And we believe as we step into this next season, we've seen God be faithful. We've seen God be good. And we believe as we step in to this next season that God's going to continue being who he has always been. And I want to encourage you, if you're new here, this whole book, I mean, I love the Bible. It's like the original Rage Against the Machine, right? Like this whole book, Genesis through Revelation is filled with God's faithfulness. Come on, stories of faithfulness. And if God's been faithful then, he's going to continue to be faithful now. You know, they did a survey in a convalescent home. I love senior adults, right? They did a survey in a convalescent home, and they asked them this question, senior adults. They're at the end of their life, and they asked them, if you could do life over again, if you had another shot at life to live your life and, and make different choices, what would you do differently? You know what they said? It wasn't, I wish I would have made more money. It wasn't that I went on more vacations. They said, I wish I would have taken more risks. And so, church, I want to shoot every last arrow that we have. I want to leave nothing for the next time. And I want to take every risk. And we may fail, and that's okay. We don't care because there's lost people in the city of LA that desperately need to hear about the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And we're going to risk everything so that they can hear. So I want to ask you if you'd help us. And I want to share this end quote as we close. Right? If you're new to church, pastor, if he says that, we're just going to go another 20 minutes. Praying against that clock in Jesus' name. But Erwin McManus in his book, Last Arrow, says this. He says, When you come to the end of your days, you will not measure your life based on success and failures. All of those will eventually blur together into a single memory called life. But what you will, but what what will you what will give you solace is a life with nothing left undone. One that's been lived with relentless ambition, a heart on fire, and with no regrets. On the other hand, what will haunt you until your final breath is who you could have been but never became, and what you could have done but never did. At this point in the service, as my season ends, another one begins. We serve a God that just doesn't bless one, but he blesses both parties. And I want to invite Pastor Matthew Terry to come up, and Ruben, if you could help me get some of the elements. As we practice the way of Jesus together as a church, as we're supposed to, he models servanthood, right? Kingdom of God is so opposite.
opposite than our culture because culture is promote yourself, pride, arrogance, how can you go higher? But in the kingdom of God, it's Jesus is always going lower, isn't he? And so Jesus, in John 13, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but he gives us a great example where he washes the disciples' feet. He says, guys, I'm doing this to be an example and a model for you. In every season of ministry, in every transition, I've, I've just always done this because I just believe in honor. But right now, I just really want to honor Pastor Matt because I'm excited as God is promoting my wife and I and our family to the next chapter. God's also promoting Pastor Matt and Brittany in this season. And I cherish the couple years that I've been here because I wouldn't be where I'm at now if it wasn't for the couple years that I've been here. So many great men and women of God have come through Life Center Church. Amen. And I believe that that rhythm is just going to continue to happen. The Spirit is going to continue to send people to answer the call of God. Romania, Silver Lake, Network Office. It's just legends of the faith come out of this church. Do you believe it? So right now, I want to honor a future legend. send them out like with a boot and a kick. Though sometimes we wanted to. <laughs> we send them out in love and with the anointing of the Lord. Amen. Would you extend your hand out towards them? Father God, Use them in a mighty way, Lord. And you've heard his cry. You've heard his desire. 
for joining us. For more information on Life Center Church and our ministries, visit lifecenterchurch.com.